We discuss the ongoing conflict between cyclists and motorists and what they can do to coexist on the road. Plus, we cover the new Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross SUV and answer audience questions. Next on Talking Cars. Welcome back. I'm John Lincove. I'm Keith Barry. And I'm Mike Monticello. And because May is Bicycle Safety Month, we're going to focus our initial segment on bicycle and car safety and driver-cyclist driver interactions. Because um, each of us have had uh, you know, different involvement with cycling. Mike and I are cyclists, avid cyclists. Keith has lived in an urban area and had to interact with cyclists in a totally different way. And you know, it's it's a key thing that we all, as as drivers, you know, need to be aware of, but also people who are cyclists. Um, you know, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background first, and, yeah. and we'll follow up. So, I mean, I've been uh, cycling for almost 25 years. Um, I started when I was about five, so do mm -hmm. the math. I'm still mm -hmm. a, I'm still a young guy. Yeah, I mean, since um, almost the womb. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and I've had, uh, you know, I come from both sides. I mean, I'm a car driver, but I I see a lot of things that cyclists do that are that are not, not smart, that make it worse for cyclists. At the same time, I've been hit by a car and my ex-wife was badly hit by a car when I was on the same ride as her. So, um, you know, it hits close to, uh, close to home for me, the sure. cycling safety. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've cycled for maybe 15 years now um, and I've gotten really into it. And, you know, you go, on, you go on group rides and you see good and bad etiquette, you right. know, but when you're out there in the group rides or even by alone, you, you see the bad etiquette by most car drivers you know it, not all of them are bad I mean let's just start this not all cyclists are bad um, and it's probably a minority not all drivers are bad but you know there's a lot of statistics I, that I'm going to get into and you know there's a lot of deaths out there I mean 840 cyclists uh, were killed in 2016 you know that that's a huge number um, and it, it unfortunately has been going up well that's what I think of because yeah. I, I mean that's that's sort of my experience with cycling um, I don't I, I, I'm from the Boston area and did a lot of commuting in the city and because of my job had to drive a car in the city right, right. and it was the least efficient way of getting anywhere and I, I'm, I'm a bit of a radical about this in some ways that I think that even though I'm a I love cars and love writing about them and driving that in certain areas I mean out here we're in a suburban, almost rural area. Yep. But back home, I mean, there are areas where I think cars just should not be. Um, and it should just be turned over to pedestrians and cyclists uh, because the two just don't don't mix. And the easiest way to move a lot of people is in, you know, in, on bikes, public transit and walking. Well, how, so yeah. one, of, you know, one of the questions is, you know, since you've your experience and you've said some, some interesting things about the, the leaving Boston, coming here, coming yeah. here, going back to Boston, what about cycling lanes and also, you know, how you think about it? Oh, totally. So, you know, the thing I have to remind myself is just what you said about how it's how easy it is to, you know, have a fatal crash on a, on a bike. And, you know, it, even if the cyclist is doing something wrong or, you know, isn't following the rules the way that I want them to or isn't signaling or annoyed me in some way, if I get mad about that or if I don't give them enough space when I'm behind the wheel of a car, I could kill them mm -hmm. if I make a mistake. If I don't look, I could kill someone. And that's what I think whenever I get behind the wheel when I'm driving, you know, commuting through Cambridge right, right. Um, it's different around here you know when you encounter cyclists it's it's totally different you're usually coming around a corner and it's you know some recreational cyclists right. these aren't commuters going to work and it's a totally different environment but you know in Boston there are there, there we're getting bike lanes we're kind of starting to the infrastructure I don't think is is good enough um, but there are 
you know, you have to, I've trained myself to, you know, check my blind spot when I'm, right. when I'm turning sure. to make sure that I don't, you know, right hook someone and cut them off and, and hurt them. And, but, and that's what yeah. we, we don't have out here is bike lanes, especially on these, these back roads, you know. Right. So that's why it's maybe even more critical as a cyclist to uh, be mindful that there's other people on the road. Right. You know, so, and you mentioned group rides. Uh, group rides is actually, I think, the safest way to go on a bicycle ride because you're more visible. The whole group, whether it's five guys or 50 guys, everyone's going to see you, right? Right. Mm. But the problem is when you have a group ride, you have, you now uh, quite often those group riders are annoying car drivers because they're taking up too much of the lane or they're, you know, they're not riding single file. Right, they so they're like, riding parallel. Just, you know. just because the laws say you can take up the lane doesn't mean you have to take up the lane, mm -hmm. you know. And, and when I lived in California, they have a lot of uh, really wide bike lanes out there. And, you know, so you're supposed to ride in the bike lane. And I'd be on these group rides of like 30 to 50 people. And so the bike lane's wide enough to ride two or three abreast. Right. And yet sometimes uh, they would still move over and be taking up part of, you know, it would be four lanes of traffic, two, two lanes this way and two lanes the other way. Yeah. And they'd be taking up one of those two travel lanes. And but John, you were talking about reasons why bike riders, by cyclists might want to do that though, right? You know, there's, there's times where you need to almost be a defensive, offensive rider. Um, you know, because you're making yourself present. You know, when you use something, I think we're gonna have some, some, uh, some B-roll, you know, some footage here. Like, you know, it's gonna show bikes with, you know, lights. Lights make you really visible. Rear light, front light, you know. Some people may say, oh, it's so dorky. Well, you know what, it's safe. You know, and if anything that gives you visibility uh, is, is, more, is better than, than being cool. Um, you know, I totally am with Mike in the sense of, you know, people pace lining and rolling off or they're right. talking. It, it, that's some of the, the habits. Cyclists get that, into this mindset that uh, when they're on these group rides, because they think they're going really fast and they're doing all this training and it feels like racing, it's like, it's like they get out there and they forget that there's other cars around. Right. Just instances where we come to a stoplight and uh, we've got a group of 10, 15 right. guys, and now they're oblivious to the fact that there's a car behind them right. who wants to go right on red. Yeah. But because they're not moving over and taking up the lane the way a car would, they're just spread out all the way across the lane. Now that car is waiting right. there, they could be going right on red and they're not. So cyclists have to remember, you're not the only ones on the road. You, exactly. you know, you, you have to g give room to cars and you want to do things like make eye contact with the car and you want to stop at stop signs. I mean, when I first started riding, I'll be honest, I didn't stop at stop signs. I, I would roll through red lights mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I finally got smart and realized this is insane. You're supposed to follow the same rules as the car. So you're right. supposed to come. If you want that respect. If, yeah. So, so what happens is cyclists don't do that. And then cars just are like, okay, these, you know, this is why so many car drivers are annoyed with cyclists because the, yep. the cyclists feel they don't have to follow the rules of the road. So sure, if you follow sure. the rules of the road and you make eye contact with the driver, you wave, they give you room, you wave to them, say thank you for that. I think, I think of it each day as trying to, you know, bring another car driver back to not hating cyclists. That's true. You know, uh, one of the things I want to jump into, because, uh, you know, it's, it's a big segment that we could talk about. Um, 840 pedocyclists, it's a DOT term killed in 2016, 829 and 15. So you're looking at, at an increase, only 701, only 701. I mean, I'm not trying to knock that down, but in 2007, so it's been re going up. Most fatalities actually were not at intersections. 30% um, were at intersections, only 4% of fatalities in bike lanes. Um, the majority happened in daylight, and then the next largest is in dark, only 5% at dawn and dusk. So it's not like, oh, the, the light is hard and you see people. Um, a staggering number in 2016, 59 of the deaths were kids, and then 130 were for people 65 and older. So 
Well, and, and a the, lot of those happened in Florida. 138 hmm. deaths were in Florida, 147 in California. So great weather and dense with, urban areas. With the, and with the rise of distracted driving and people, yes. on their, you know, car drivers being on their phones, it's so easy. All it takes is a second and you've, you've run that, that you've, you've hit that sure. cyclist that's, sure. you know, you're, the, the car's here, cyclist's here. You're looking down at your phone and you veer slightly over and run over that cyclist. Um, that's all it takes. Yep. So. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted and I'm not trying to cut you off, Keith, nope. but, you know, we talked about some tips, you know, that, that from both a driver's perspective as well as a cyclist's perspective. And I wanted to toss it to Keith because you had a really good, interesting one um, that, that would help, I think, with all driving etiquette. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's important to put yourself in the, in the shoes of everyone who's every road user. So, you know, when you become a vulnerable road user, when you're a pedestrian, when you're a cyclist, there is, you know, the infrastructure in this country is built for cars in many places. And I, I personally don't think that it should be, mm -hmm. um, but in many places in the country. Obviously, out here, it's different than sure. in cities. But it's changing. It's evolving. It's changing. It's evolving. And I think that um, the best way to figure out where the the reasons why other road users act the way they do is to get behind the wheel of a car if you're a cyclist if you're a if you only drive get on a bike and get out there be a pedestrian share literally learn how to share the road I would actually really like it if, if car drivers if everyone got the chance to drive you know just do a mile in an 18 wheeler and see sure. how hard that is sure um, you get a lot of respect for those for those people you know but yeah it's, I mean, Mike, you had some some thoughts for cyclists, you know, about signaling and traffic. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously always signal when you're making a left or right turn. I mean, John's so old school. He he goes like this to go left and he goes this, the old Boy Scout right. approach or whatever to go right. So at traffic um, sees me. I always feel yeah, that if you do but, this, you're blocked. Yeah, make, make a big, you know, hand signal either way. Um, we use, you know, stopping, you know, put our hands back when we're stopping. Um, and as, like a, I said, as a driver, when I come up to a, you know, there's a bike lane next to me and I know that the traffic is, the bike traffic is going to cut across me. I always make eye contact with the first rider in that group who's right. waiting for the light to let them know I see them and they can go. Then I'm not just going right. to plow into them because I'm looking at my phone. Because I mean, on group rides, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen we, uh, people just uh, roll through stop signs. Uh, uh, roll stoplights, and if you, as a group or even on your own, uh, make the the point that you're you're going to stop, and then yep. the car waves you through, then you're like, oh, thank you, and then everyone has a better day because of it. Right. Um, it's the same as some cars pull up yeah. to a, you know to a four way, and you know the one guy says like, you go, I'm, right, I'm, right, right. I, I got it. And, and also, I mean, wear your helmet. I mean, you know, it's surprising. We looked up some helmet laws, and it's surprising. First of all, there's no helmet laws for adults anywhere in any state mm -hmm. in, in the country, although there are some uh, city ordinances that require some, some helmet laws. But like in Connecticut, it's, it's only uh, if you're 15 years or younger, then you have to wear a helmet. But so wear your helmet, you know, my personal thing kind of stuck up. If I see a guy who's not wearing a helmet, um, you know, I won't wave to him. If he waves to me first, I'll what wave a, to what him. What a great yeah. loss. <laughs> what a great loss. But you know, because it's like the, the helmets, actually we, we had helmets, we had props but someone thought we would look dorky if we were wearing our helmets for this segment. But the helmets are right, so- Luckily, we weren't wearing spandex. Right. I mean, I had no the, one wants the to bibs, see that. I no. had it all. I think I'm wearing spandex. Yeah. yeah. I think it's but by accident though. The helmets are so light and, uh, and have so much good ventilation these days. There's, there's really um, honestly no reason to not wear I helmets. cracked mine in and I, I went over the handlebars at about five miles an hour, hit a pothole, and I'm gonna touch that in a second and cracked the helmet and didn't have a concussion. So like yeah. the helmet took the brunt it's, of, a, of a five it's, mile an it's hour It's amazing uh, how much they, they, you know, how light they are yet how strong they are. The other thing, you, you mentioned lights. 
The rear flash, rear red flashing lights are uh, very inexpensive these days. They're yep. very easy to put on your bike. You can recharge them on your computer. And we got, uh, and, I think we have some footage showing yeah, you know, how, how and, intense they are. And same with the, the front lights these yeah. days. You know, I mean, we used to use the, we grew up, we used the generators where right, they, right. you put the generator over on the tire. But these days, the front lights are, again, pretty inexpensive. They're very easy to recharge um, and uh, they're quite bright. And so, I mean, those are the kinds of things that if you think you're going to be riding at all close to dusk, make sure you have those sure, lights. Sure, sure. You know, two final thoughts. First of all, for drivers, look, you don't want to go over a pothole. You know, you're worried about the wheel. You're worried about being a bump. Well, think about a cyclist going over mm -hmm. a pothole. They are going to bend their wheel and fall in front of you. They are going to blow out their tire and fall in front of you. So keep your eyes up for yourself, but also think about what the cyclist is doing. Yeah, if that person, swer if the cyclist swerves, swerves. in front of you, it's not because they're a jerk. I mean, they could be a jerk, right. but it also could be that they're literally saving their, their skin. And also think yeah. about the, the speed differential. You know, the cyclist may be doing 20 miles an hour and you're doing 30. If you're gonna make a right turn, wait 10 seconds, wait mm. five seconds. You're gonna get to your parking space. You're gonna get to the, 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 know, red the big light. box. You're the gonna red get light. to the red light at the same time. But that speed differential, if you cut in front, the cyclist is probably gonna clip you. You, so, know, you know what we didn't discuss? Tips for deer. Uh, well, you and and we w I want to give tips to deer, not a cyclist how to handle deer because I once got hit by a deer. I didn't hit the deer; the deer hit I, me. I think we'll have to do that in a, another on a, episode. The flora, different, fauna, different and, and drivers range for the yeah. deer episode. I think. Yeah, we're we're gonna yeah. totally pivot um, and go to cars now, oh, and, and we're gonna okay. focus on a, a new so car. We're, that we're we talking got. cars. We're now talking back to talking cars. Excellent. Um, a new vehicle came in. Uh, I'm gonna toss it to you, Keith. The Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, mm -hmm. uh, small SUV. Yeah, it is a small SUV. So I, I, I know that, you know, obviously you can find out what CR thinks about uh, Mitsubishis. Yep. Um, I personally, I don't really have anything wrong with the Outlander Sport. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're looking for an inexpensive car with a warranty and actually really good all-wheel drive system, the Outlander Sport, which is Mitsubishi's kind of current compact SUV, yep. It's fine. It's very inexpensive. Um, you can find it brand new for not a lot of money. Right. And then, and I, I, I do want to inject, you know, the Mitsubishi feelings are, you know, from our test data. Yeah. You know, so it is, it's, it's how they perform just like all the other vehicles and, and in their class against their peers. Exactly. I mean, it's not going to be, you know, no Mitsubishi is going to be the quietest, the most luxurious, right. etc. The Eclipse Cross, though, is just baffling to me because Mitsubishi already makes a perfectly decent, serviceable, affordable, compact SUV. And then they come out with this, this other car, which is has less exterior, less interior space. Yep. Like, I think kind of an ugly exterior. And it's $28,000. That's is, the thing which just blows my mind, that it takes away the, the one thing about that right. car that, that actually kind of made it charming. Well, you know, Monty, you know, since you, you kind of blend both testing as well as editorial mm. or content work, you know, what's it been like for driving? Well, it's, it almost feels like this is a vehicle that uh, Mitsubishi, they felt like they needed a new vehicle, uh, you know, and they just sort of cobbled this together, put down this new exterior, which actually I will say, I think it looks better in person than it looked in photos. Yeah. I don't know if that's uh, praise or not, but um, I actually Faint don't praise. think it Faint looks praise. that terrible in person. Um, but it, it really feels like they cobbled this together as quickly as they could, and they didn't totally finish the R&D. Well, you know, it's mm. funny. Andrew, who's uh, over on the camera, uh, too, maybe, he, he even said it's sort of like, um, you know, the teacher was, was watching all the designers, and he's like, okay, pencils down. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, right. Send it to the, send it to the dealerships. Right. Yeah, know? it's got this real high-tech, like, remote touch-style touchpad. Right. On, the infotainment system. The infotainment yeah. system, which is stupid, but at least it looks high-tech. And it's funny, because with that infotainment system, it, it almost feels like... Like they took uh, 
like they looked at all the worst infotainment systems and then they took a little piece from each <laughs> one, you know, like the that, worst yeah. Ones. yeah, like that mm -hmm. Lexus, like, you know, sort of pad thing and, 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 right. you know, the, the touch screen is far away and there's no, like Honda, there's no volume or tuning knobs. It's, there's just some things there that don't make sense. I will say when you get into the car initially, it, the, there's, you know, there's some soft touch here and there. There's some, it doesn't look terrible inside. I like that upholstery. But it's yeah, kinda, but once you neat. start using it and you start driving it around and it's, you know, it's, it's, Again, sort of like how it looks okay when you first get into it until right. you get deeper. Same thing when you first start driving it. It's pretty quick off the line. You know, it's got this turbo four cylinder and it has a CVT, continuously variable transmission. But then it seems like it runs out of steam yeah. pretty quickly. And so it's a little it's, wallowy. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things like you touched on, Keith, and $28,000 is a lot. I mean, that's mm -hmm. Subaru Forester. That's Honda CRV. That's Ford RAV4. Escape. Ford Escape, you know, for, for sport. I mean, the, the, the old Eclipses are... are crying to have their name associated with this <laughs> Out of vehicle. their folded headlights, they're well, just... We should, right, say, right, we, right, right. We should say we haven't tested this yet, so we're not making it's final proclamation. Yeah, we're yeah. not, but it's yeah. just it's it's just not a... It doesn't really seem like a full-baked effort, and yeah. again, at that price, it's it's a challenge to to really, for people, you know, to, to justify going and shopping that when there are so many good vehicles. So, right. like you and said... there aren't as many dealers around as... Mitsubishi is a very right. small dealer network, so even though it has that great warranty, where are you going to get it fixed if you live 30 miles away from the closest exactly. dealer? Exactly. Yeah. So we're still testing it. Like Mike said, you know, check back in the next couple of weeks for our final results. So we're going to switch over to some audience questions right now because we've been getting a lot of really great ones to our iMessage account, which is TalkingCars at iCloud.com. Our first one is about used cars. I'm looking to buy my first used car for college between eight dollars and $10,000. I'd like suggestions for anything from a compact hatchback to a midsize crossover, but it has to be reliable not drive like a boat, not be as common as a Prius, and be from 2005 to 2013. Thanks a lot for the help. So I'm gonna throw it to Mike first. What did you come up with as a suggestion? I came up with two. Okay, uh, so you're doing extra I give I give the, the audience more for their money is the way mm. I like to look at it. He doesn't um, do that at work, but he no, gives it for no, the audience, no. okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, they, they're who really count. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I came up with um, a Honda Fit, 2009 to 2012 Honda Fit, and 2009 to 2012 Mazda 3. Uh, both are reliable, and uh, both are f pretty fun to drive. You yeah. know, the Mazda 3 being a little bit more fun to drive, the Honda Fit ha being, you know, have more usable interior, and you can get both sure. with manual transmissions. You know, the Mazda 3, fun. you know, comes as a sedan or a hatchback. Obviously, this person would want the hatchback. Um, I honestly think you can't go wrong with either one. Uh, good choices. Uh, for me, uh, the Mazda 3 is the more fun car to drive, but I could totally see a college kid driving either one of these cars and uh, having lots of space and having a little bit of fun. And, uh, yeah, I, I honestly think... Uh, a friend of mine just said his daughter's looking at a Mazda 3 or Civic, and he said, I think we're going to go Mazda 3 hatch, college. So it's right down, right there in the ballpark. Keith, what about you? I think, I mean, I know he's looking for something that isn't totally common, and I'm going to recommend the Civic, uh, but that's just, it's, it's sort of my go-to recommendation for, for someone who's, who's looking for something. You're going to have the rest of your life to buy interesting, really interesting cars, um, and, you Since know. the guy who's not married like, and doesn't have kids. Well, but I, I, I kind of, I got all my interesting cars when I was in college, and now nothing can be, you know, I have nothing to look forward to. So, <laughs> you know. There's still plenty none of, of them, old none of them French ran. cars you could find. None of them actually ran, yeah. but, you know, I had there's them. There's Renaults. Yeah. Jones. There's, there's a lot of stuff. All kinds can, of stuff. <laughs> Sterlings, you know. I yeah, plenty a, of Sterlings. My had a Sterling, so. We'll so this, digress. I think, you know, again, you can get a stick shift. Um, the Civic, it's reliable. Um, you know, you might lose it in a parking lot, but if you really want to, <laughs> if you really want to make yourself stand out, you can rebadge it like an Acura 1.6 EL and tell everyone you're Canadian. That's, oh boy. That's esoteric? Right. Nah, esoteric? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. 
I went uh, totally off. 2007 Acura TSX. Okay. Um, the TSX is a recommended used car. It's reliable. We, we don't go to 2007, but it, it's a solid car. And I also went for a sister vehicle, the 2006 Acura RSX. That's a fun car. Yeah. Super yeah. sporty, hatchback, two-door. I'll be honest, I forgot about that. Uh, mm. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's the... Uh, the, the down the road from the Integra with the yeah. four lights oh, and yeah. you know fun. Yeah. That's when Honda was such a a drivetrain, you know, engine and transmission company made sporty fun cars. And you don't see those too much anymore. You so don't. that I kind of goes to when I saw one the point. other day. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Not yeah. common. So so those are the choices. I think you can you can find some really good cars. Um, a lot of love for Honda. A lot of love yeah. for Honda there. You yeah. know, older Honda there, again. You know, yeah. when they were fun. Yeah, um, exactly. Our second question. I've purchased six brand new vehicles in my life, and I've never been told by the dealer to check the owner's manual for break-in procedures. Seems to me that dealers need to do a better job about informing consumers about the manufacturer's break-in procedures. So do you guys have any tips? Well, my first tip is you should not be breaking into cars. That's <laughs> really, that is they belong true. to someone else. That's true. Yeah. And Slim Jims don't work as much. As no, they really don't. So yeah. seriously, no. I know Mike went over to our uh, shop manager, John Ibbotson, to talk about right. this. Right, I talked to Big John, and uh, you know, and also keep in mind, we break in all of our test cars for mm. 2,000 miles. Again, driving, not uh, Slim right. Jimmy. Right. Uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, not just the engine. I mean, because that's, that's what you're really trying to do, is you're trying to break in all the moving parts uh, in an engine so that they wear properly down the road. That's why you do this break-in period. We also are doing it for tires and brakes for our mm -hmm. test cars. That's why we go a little longer than the usual break-in period for a car. But um, so, so that's why you want to do it. But first of all, I think the car salesman, the car dealer should tell you. Sure. And so I did a little digging, um, you know, at some of our cars that are in our garage over there, our usual studio. And the 2019 Jeep Cherokee says, uh, because all these manuals differ actually in terms of what they tell people. And they say, drive your car moderately during the first 300 miles. After the first 60 miles, speeds up to 50 to 55 miles per hour are desirable. While cruising, brief full throttle acceleration within the limits of local traffic laws contribute to good break-in. Uh, wide open throttle and low gear can be detrimental and should be avoided. The 2018 BMW X2 says, uh, moving parts need to begin working together smoothly during break-in. Do not use the launch control. I wasn't even aware our X2 had launch control, but... Moving I, parts working together smoothly. It's like adding someone new to the podcast. Yeah. That's and yeah, I just true. need and, a little break-in period. I'm not sure how well it's going. Yeah, but. by the fifth episode, maybe. And yeah, then they yeah. say up to 1,200 miles do not exceed the maximum mm -hmm. engine and road speed. Avoid full load or kick down under all circumstances. And then from 1,200 miles, you know, uh, engine and vehicle speed can gradually be increased. But the bottom mm -hmm. line more than anything is... Vary your speed, vary the way you drive the car, um, you know. Without being extreme. Yeah, so don't drive it crazy hard. Don't do a lot of full throttle stuff. Yep. Uh, don't, ba but don't, at the same time, don't baby it. And don't just, you know, do the first 500 miles on the highway. You want right. to be varying the engine speed. You want to vary the way you drive the car. And well, it's tough because you want to drive your new, you get your new car and you want to drive it. And you want to get out there and see what it can do, but kind of resist that temptation, yeah. right? Well, and we've, each, we've, we've all bought cars for, mm. for, the, for, uh, for consumer reports, for test cars. And I don't know if any of us have visited the service department, for example, that they've taken us mm. over to say, oh, here's, here's at least the service department where you can ask that question. You, you know, mean when you're first buying the when car? When you're buying the car, when you're yeah. Up the car, I mean, the yeah. only thing that you get is you get the delivery and you get the, I'll go through 
a lot of the how to use the infotainment system. Right. But please give me fives on my survey yeah. because give yeah. me a fives. Otherwise, exactly they're going to fire me tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're gonna fire. And, <laughs> and that's so from the manufacturer to be in order to give money, you know, back to the dealership, and so that the salesperson can actually earn some money because yeah. they don't make a lot of money per car. And it would be great, and it would actually probably help them get their fives if there was a bit of explanation yeah. about, hey, this is how you handle it to begin with. But, mm -hmm. and, and the key thing is, for all you people out there, I mean, read the manual. Usually it says engine break-in or break-in period. Uh, at the back of the manual, go to that page, just see what they say and, and follow close to what they say. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, 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 yeah. it's just smart. Yep. Well, I think we're going to have that as the last word on this episode. So thanks for watching. We really appreciate the question. So again, like we said, our iMessage account is talkingcars at iCloud.com. Check the show notes below for everything that we talked about and links to all the information. And thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. I would Ow. listen to this. <laughs> this is the podcast this I would want to listen to. This is good stuff right yeah. here.